Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the Sports Zone with your host, Bob Kemp. This season they have not. And off the block, here's Levine. Wow, he pulls for a three. Got it! Zach Levine! Isaiah Joe cuts back door. He couldn't get it to him. Giddy's got five to shoot. Giddy, three-pointer. That's good. Josh Giddy, another big bucket. He's got 24. He put in good work all day. Rodgers on the run. Pump fake. Frees him to the end zone for another Packer touchdown. Guriel, fly ball, left field, goodbye. Lord, is Guriel Jr. is first as a Diamondback and make it 4 nothing. 0-1-1, Fairbanks throws, swinging a rolling ground ball to second, picked up by Lau, he throws to first, and the Rays have won 12 in a row. It matches the franchise record for a winning streak, tying the one they had in June of 2004, this year's comes at the beginning of the season, and the Rays are 12-0 to begin the 2023 campaign. Third down two. It's Jackson. Oh, my gosh, here he goes. He'll sprint. He's being chased by Howard. Looking behind. You can kiss him goodbye. Touchdown. He is electrifying. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. And welcome to the Thursday, April 13th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, Right here on KDUS AM 1060 and Cast Lux HD 2 100.7. From the NBA playoff tournament, who you got ATS on Friday night at Miami? And how did the Thunder extend its season and send the Pelicans home? Meanwhile, the Jets, should they make a deal? Should they actually deal first and second round picks to acquire Aaron Rodgers? More on that in a couple of moments. The Diamondbacks. What has stood out during the opening homestand of the season? Very impressive opening homestand for Arizona. The Rays, how about that 12-0 start? What's been most impressive in that 12-0 start? The Colts, should they draft a quarterback or trade for Lamar Jackson? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's uh, scheduled lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we'll have the introduction to today's pipeline. 9.15, around the NBA, Dan Faveo will join us from Bleacher Report. 9.30 or so to be interactive action at 602-260-1060. And also some local roundup. We'll have a little Suns and Clippers. We now know the schedule for the entire series, Suns and Clippers. That was officially announced yesterday by the NBA. Also more on the Diamondbacks' latest victory last uh, yesterday afternoon, actually. Yesterday afternoon against the Brewers. And then the final segment of the sports zone will be the National Roundup, top by from a little from the scoreboard, some baseball, and also we'll get to some uh, latest line action from uh, the NBA postseason 
uh, the uh, play-in tournament, then the postseason, two different things apparently. And uh, we'll also get to some Major League Baseball for today. Then after the Sports Zone from 10 to noon, it is the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. Among other things, we'll have more phone call time during that two-hour window. All right, on to the pipeline we go. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. And today's question is who you got Friday ATS in Miami, the Bulls plus five or the Heat minus five. And uh, Corey is here and has the early returns. Leading so far, Heat minus five is 87% of the vote there. Bulls plus five at 33% on KDUSAM1060.com. The Bulls became the first 10th place team ever to win a play-in game. A couple hours later, the Thunder became the second team, 10th place team to win a play-in game. But anyway, the Bulls were the first. They did that on Wednesday night, early on Wednesday. Zach Levine uh, led a 19-point second-half comeback for the Bulls at Toronto. Toronto missed half of their 36 free-throw attempts in that game last night. Also from the NBA postseason, Oklahoma City's surprising season continued. While New Orleans, their season ended in disappointment. What's the biggest reason at OKC, OKC, he tried to say, three letters, Bob, OKC, eliminated New Orleans last night? All right, Twitter poll question. Should the Jets trade a 2023 second-round pick and a 2024 first-round pick to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers? And, Corey, what's the answer here? This one is very close. Leading barely is yes, 56.3% of the vote there. No at 43.8% of the vote on KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter. That apparently is the asking price from the Packers for Aaron Rodgers. So that would explain why there's been a kind of a one-month stalemate since Aaron Rodgers declared in the Pack McAfee show that uh, Rodgers wanted to be traded to the Jets. Meanwhile, on the local front, the Diamondbacks finished 5-2 on their first homestand of the season. The Diamondbacks led from start to finish in Wednesday's 7-3 victory over the Brewers. What uh, has really stood out to you? What's been most impressive about the Diamondbacks' 5-2 homestand, their first homestand of the season? Meanwhile, spanning the globe, another day and another Tampa Bay Rays victory. Wednesday night's win started with uh, top young starter Taj Bradley on the mound and ended with the bullpen you know, holding on in the 9-7 win over Boston. You know, forget the easy early season schedule. I've talked about it. Everybody's talked about it. But what's been most impressive about the Rays' 12-0 start to the season? Switching back to the NFL, the Colts, according to new coach Shane Steichen, Shane Steichen, uh, are focused in the draft and not interested in trading for Lamar Jackson. So, if given a choice, should the Colts draft a quarterback with the fourth pick, two weeks from today, by the way, the first day of the draft, or trade for Lamar Jackson? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show? All right, that's the pipeline for today. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else in your mind falls into the general discussion category, so whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. 
specifically and basically the rules are we don't like anything that's not accurate we don't like anything that's not objective so we want accuracy and objectivity if you violate those rules simple rules or if you're just simply bad you will be the target of this Coming up next, Corey will have a news update. That will be followed by around the NFL. Dan Favell scheduled to join us from Bleacher Report. We'll talk about uh, the play-in round and get into some of the uh, official NBA playoff series, which uh, begin on Saturday, and uh, probably a few things in between. So who knows? That's kind of the mini plan that I have there. So let's uh, see if I follow the plan. Uh, so that's coming up next. Bottom of the hour, once again, it'll be phone call time, general discussion, 602-260-1060, 602-260-1060. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD 2 100.7. downloaded the KDUS AM 1060 skill for Alexa yet? Dude, Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. Your home of the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. The NBA play-in round is fun. Maybe not always postseason level basketball, but it seems to be fun. Last night was fun. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joining the Sports Zone by Dan Favale of Bleacher Report. And Dan, okay, not quite ready for Dan yet. Is that correct? Okay, we, okay, we're going to hope to get to Dan here in a couple of seconds. Last night, as I mentioned, I think it was pretty fun. Uh, it's the first game, uh, the Bulls at Toronto, and the Bulls rallied from down 19 points to win that game at Toronto. And, uh, you know, the, uh, you know the, that game is kind of a microcosm of why I'm not the biggest fan of Zach Levine, but that kind of goes back to some college selfishness that he displayed at UCLA. But that game was, you know, first half, you know, the the, uh, the Bulls are struggling on offense in part because Levine kept taking jump shots and missed a lot of them. And uh, there was one one stretch where there was two, three possessions in a row that he took jump shots. Anyway, we now have Dan. And, Dan, good to have you on the show once again. I was talking a little bit about the play-in round, how – it's uh, last certainly. It's uh, I think last uh, last night was fun. Uh, I'm not sure there's always quality postseason level of basketball play, but uh, how do you like the playing round? Let, let's just get to the to the bottom line first as far as that goes. Yeah, I don't. You know, they've been super entertaining over the years. That even if people don't think it's the highest level of basketball, there's the element of March Madness to it, where you have teams dealing with single elimination. Um, or you need to, you know, you could lose twice and have, be upset and squander the seventh or eighth seed, which is traditionally just that guaranteed postseason bid. And so obviously those seven or eight seeds probably don't like that setup, but it adds just a different layer of stakes and interest to the equation. 
So do we know, I mean, it's been going on for a couple, three years now. Do we know if the public likes the play-in round and is the NBA getting what it expected? Yeah, I think, look, it seems to be universally adored. Again, I'm sure fans of the 7 and 8 seeds, if they see their teams fall out of that spot, um, you know, Timberwolves fans, for instance, going into Friday, they might not be crazy about that situation and players on those teams. But I just think that it's added, uh, you know, a ton of interest. And you just have to look at kind of how many teams stuck with it for longer in the season, where the Lakers are a perfect example. We're in the playoff now. Yes, they ended up finishing seventh, but do they make those trades at the deadline when they were in 10th or 11th if they didn't think that they were as close to play in contention, let alone getting into one of those final playoff spots? And so I think it's kept more teams engaged for longer into the season. And I think that's a good thing to for a league that kind of struggles to ascribe meaning to an 82-game regular season. Okay, so let's get to the Lakers from Tuesday night since you brought up the Lakers. Yeah, that was an interesting game. Uh, not a particularly well-played fourth quarter in overtime, but it was an interesting game for sure. The Lakers seemed to kind of escape. You know, did the Lakers... You know, stumbling along there and then winning the game. Did, does that change your opinion of the Lakers? What is your opinion of the Lakers? And did that uh, game on uh, on Tuesday night change your opinion at all? No, I think it kind of just reinforced how uh, uneasy I am about them and how unsettled they seem. Um, their rotation is bizarre. They have, in theory, six guys they could trust. But you look at towards the end of that game, and a lot of the players, Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, you acquired the trade deadline were supposed to be super important. They weren't on the court for some of the most important stretches. And yet, you go back and look, since the Lakers started 2-10, and 10, they're 41-29 and 29 with basically a top-10 defense and top-10 offense. Uh, that's not something that you can just dismiss. And now you're going up against a Grizzlies team that has been better offensively with the growth of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain, but they're missing two of their primary bigs in Steven Adams and, and Brandon Clark. So they do feel uniquely vulnerable. And I think a lot of people, if not a majority of people, are going to pick the Lakers to win that series. I just don't know if you can trust the Lakers' offense enough, as we saw, not just against the Timberwolves at points, but just over and over again over the season, even when both LeBron and AD were playing. Okay, I'm going to be bouncing around here quite a bit, uh, so I don't really have much of a chronological order here. But Tuesday night also, uh, you know, Atlanta you know, physically dominated against Miami, were you surprised uh, that, that Miami was not the – when's the last time Miami wasn't like the aggressor in a postseason game? Yeah, I I was kind of shocked at how that one played out. Uh, the Heat have been pretty bad offensively all season, um, but to kind of look at how passive they were, how many bunnies Jimmy Butler ended up missing at the rim, yeah. how uninvolved them at a bio felt at points, uh, that, was, that was a real – and I think it forces you to reevaluate not just the Heat as they look to get into the playoffs still, but um, scaling forward and to see what they need to do over the offseason and beyond to maximize this window that they still have with Jimmy Butler. So next up for Miami is a you know loser goes home game against the Bulls. The Bulls, of course, win last night. What did you think of the Bulls' victory last night, and how do you think they match up against the Heat? I had initially picked the Bulls, and I was clearly not feeling great about that pick for a good chunk of the, the Raptors game. But you look at Chicago, and Zach Levine catches fire in the second half. Um, DeMar DeRozan made some big plays down the stretch. Uh, those are guys that can get into the teeth of the Heat's defense. And I think what's been even more 
noteworthy about Chicago is that their defense has been, by and large, even without Monzo, really, really good this season. The ball pressure that they're getting from Alex Caruso and Patrick Williams, and even um, from Patrick Beverly when he's on the floor, um, and running through smaller lineups with Derek Jones Jr., I think they're kind of built uh, to put a ton more pressure on the heat and disrupt an offense that, again, if you slow them down out of transition, they're just not very good. And so I think a lot of people will believe that Miami can rebound and you know they'll be at home and, and they'll win. But I just wouldn't discount the Bulls, who have been on sort of a mini tear uh, since, the, since the trade deadline, basically. Let's kind of do a little eulogy here for Toronto. They collapse in the second half. Other than the 18 missed free throws, what happened? And is Nick Nurse moving on? Uh, they're just really shallow. And it's, it's an issue that plagued them last year. And then to see them not really address it over the offseason heading into to this year was, was very bizarre. Um, then they also, you know, they delayed uh, making a move on the trade market. The Jakob Pertle trade, I understood it, but you were – in a position to where you probably needed to make a move like that in December rather than the middle of February when you kind of already fell out of the, the real playoff picture. And so uh, based off everything that we're hearing and what Nick Nurse himself said, I kind of feel like we're going to eventually get that mutual parting of the ways news from the Raptors and him. And it'll be interesting to see what direction they go with their next head coach and whether, you know, with so many free agents on their team, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Fleet, Jakob Hurdle plus extension eligibility for OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. I think this could end up being sort of a crossroads offseason for Toronto. Okay, Dan, let's look at the other uh, game in the West uh, the last couple of nights. The, the Thunder win at New Orleans uh, last night. Did the OKC victory surprise you? And how should the Pelicans look into the future with Zion's injury history? Uh, the Thunder victory didn't surprise me. They've just been very pesky all season, and they're a team that just plays super hard. Um, and even when it's chaotic, even when it's not always pretty, um, the fact that you know that they're going to be on defense giving maximum effort and then that you still have a go-to guy in Shea at the other end, and yet you can count on getting just really good complimentary performances from a Josh Giddy or even you know the wing Jalen Williams wasn't good last night, but he still made some nice plays going to the basket. Uh, they're just deeper, I think, than most people understand in in players that can make an impact. Uh, looking at New Orleans, they're they're in a very tough spot because I'm sure we talked about this earlier in the year. They looked like contenders um, around the start of 2023. They were near the top of the Western Conference, and they still have that feeling with a healthy Zion Williamson. But Zion and Brandon Ingram have played in 93 games together across four years. Um, that's not mm-hmm. a large enough sample to understand what you need and now you're finishing another season where they weren't playing together and so it makes it that much harder to sort of flesh out the rest of your roster can you go make a bigger move on the trade market or do you just sort of have to sit still until you actually understand what this group can look like um when they play an extended stretch together or you just operate under the assumption that hey that's never going to happen and we have to build out our team in the image of okay zion's gonna play in maybe 41 games a year Okay, back to OKC. Uh, at Minnesota on uh, Friday night, Minnesota with Gobert, yeah, at least eligible to return. I'm sure he'll play. Uh, but probably uh, now without Nas Reed again and obviously without Jaden McDaniels. So how do we handicap that game Friday night? That's going to be an interesting one. I The Thunder like to play smaller for stretches, or even if they have the big Jalen Williams on the court. Um, we saw a lot of Dario Saric at center uh, against 
uh, New Orleans. I'm wondering if they're going to continue to downsize. And, and if you do, and I would bet that they will, uh, how does Minnesota counter? You can't really – they're not built to, with Rudy Gobert and Carlin Towns to keep up with any of what would the OKC Thunder uh, power forwards would be. And then if you just throw into the equation that Dario Sarge is your five, yeah, you're giving up a lot on the glass in that scenario. Um, but you're also mismatching the Timberwolves into oblivion on the defensive end. And when they don't have Jaden McDaniels to fall back on, it puts a lot of pressure on um, Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns to defend on the perimeter while also putting a ton of pressure on Edwards and, and Kyle Anderson to really be on point. And that's a game, as of right now, even though it'll be on the road, I almost kind of expect Oklahoma City to win just based off how weird the matchups are going to play out. The big defining factor could be if we see Anthony Edwards or Kyle Anderson really give Shea Gilgis Alexander some problems in the half court on defense, that is probably Minnesota's best pass, best pass to victory. Also, it would help if, uh, if, you know, if basically, uh, you know, if basically they, they can't have their primary scorer go two for 17 like he did on Tuesday night, huh? No, they can't. I'm hoping. I think it looked like he was dealing with like a shoulder twinge or something. And so we'll have to see how healthy Anthony Edwards actually looks in this game, too. All right, so looking ahead to the weekend and, you know, far into the weekend because the Suns and the Clippers aren't playing until the 5 o'clock game, Arizona time, on Sunday. Uh, Paul George was on the practice court yesterday. At least they had video of him on the practice court. I'm not sure how much he did. Uh, But how much does the questionable availability of Paul George factor into this series in your mind? Pardon me if that's just an ignorant question, but I think I needed to ask it. <laughs> uh, look, it's it's huge, and I I don't want to say I'd be surprised if he plays this series, but looking at the first three, four, five games, I feel like you can almost pencil him out, and that just makes it so much harder as the Clippers to defend the Suns, which are who are already a team that are just difficult to defend in, inherently. Uh, you have Kawhi Leonard, and now you're all of a sudden in this decision making uh, vortex where it's well, do we put him on Kevin Durant? Or do we throw him on Devin Booker because we don't have Paul George to do that and Devin Booker is going to be the one who is going to move around more off the ball. And we just don't trust when looking at their starting lineup in Nick Batum or an Eric Gordon um, to be the guy that goes after him. And it just puts you in a bind right off the bat. And it's going to put a ton of pressure, I think, on um, you know their smaller lineups because I don't know if Zubach can keep up with some of or Plumlee, for that matter, can keep up with some of the Suns' peak lineups. Uh, or you're going to really have to lean on a, a Terrence Mann here or hope that Robert Covington or even a Marcus Morris Sr. was not really played well um, for most of the season and kind of fell out of their rotation to close the regular season. Uh, it, it's just going to be a really tough stretch for them, however long Paul George is out. And if he's not playing at all in the first round, I honestly don't know that I see a realistic path to the Clippers surviving against this Phoenix team at full strength. Warriors and Kings, uh, the regional battle, first time they've ever played in the postseason. Uh, does other te- either team uh, – well, was this the, like the first team that gets a stop wins, or is that how this works, or how would you handicap the, the Warriors and Kings? Yeah, that's going to be super interesting. And there are also – you know, a lot of people think that the NBA has become homogenous now, and these are two teams that play offense in an entirely different fashion than a lot of other NBA squads. And so that will be fascinating – to watch looking at all the off-ball movement they like to generate in the half court what i do think is interesting is that the warriors defense has been superb when they're playing at home and the king's defense has actually been in the top 10 
when they're playing on the road. And so that's sort of just this <laughs> little fascinating wrinkle. And I think the Kings have done a better job of defending opponents deep into the shot clock. They've just given up some higher-end opportunities there. And so I am with you that I think this is going to come down to um, a, a defensive battle, or at least in a sense, what team is going to be able to uphold their offensive principles for longer. And I think that's why so many people are going to favor the Warriors, just because they're clearly more proven in the postseason than this iteration of a Kings team that's really playing out its full, first full year together and doesn't have a ton of players. I mean, Harrison Barnes has played in big games, but aside from him, even even Zabonis has not played in a ton of huge playoff games. Well, let's go back to the East here. Hawks and Celtics, Nets versus Sixers. Are they competitive series? Either of those or both or none? I wouldn't expect Hawks, um, uh, Celtics to be that competitive. I just, Atlanta's going to run out of defensive answers for Boston. You have DeAndre Hunter, um, who can go after one of Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. And then you have DeJounte Murray, who can in theory defend the other. But they can't play 48 minutes a game. You're going to have to rely a lot on Jalen Johnson. Um, some of Boston's smaller lineups can give you problems and might play John Collins or Clint Capella uh, off the court in situations. Sixers, Nets, I don't expect it to be too competitive, but something to monitor would just be what does James Harden look like because he has been dealing with that Achilles issue. And if he's not really able to attack um, with the same level of speed or explosion, Brooklyn does have the length on the wings plus a very switchable big in Nick Claxton that can cause problems. For their offense and so i would still expect them to win the series but if it becomes sort of like this six or seven game affair and you have to play these unnecessary games before heading into the second round probably against boston uh, that becomes a potential issue all right so nicks and caps uh let's assume that julius randall plays and is at least somewhat effective how would you look at this series if that happened i still think i would probably favor cleveland in six games or so um, the top end of their defense just easily uh, is better than the top end of the Knicks' defense. And I think uh, that having Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, they're uniquely built to keep the Knicks out of the paint um, or at least frustrate them once they get there. And that becomes a huge problem for not only a Jalen Brunson, um, but an R.J. Barrett, who's not been efficient this year, but he's trying to get to the foul line. He's trying to get into the lane because his jumper has not really been there for him this year. It also poses problems for for Julius Randle, um, because if he's going to play, you have to imagine he won't be at 100% with that ankle injury. Is he going to be able to attack mismatches or Evan Mobley if Mobley's the guy that's going to be on him when he likes to get into the lane? Um, and if he can't put the Cavs in rotation, is he going to be okay in sort of a more pick-and-pop role where he's just jacking a ton of threes off the catch? And so I think that Cleveland just ultimately, while they have their own questions on offense, they like to play a little too slow at points. Will they get enough shooting out of that um, small forward spot, which is crucial because you're not going to get any shooting out of the Mobley or Allen front court. That Those are real questions, but I think that their defense is just really built to irritate and disrupt New York's offensive flow. Last up, looking ahead, you know, Milwaukee with the Middleton injury situation. We saw them you know, without him in uh, you know, the series against Boston last year. You know, just just it's a similar result. Does he have to play for them to have long term success this year? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's encouraging that he did say he would have been playing towards the end of the regular season if it were the playoffs. And when you look at what people are most concerned about with regard to Milwaukee, it's been their half court offense. Uh, they've actually had like a top five half court offense ever since Middleton made his second return, which I think was in the middle of January. And so. 
it's just inter- instrumental what he can do as a shot maker in the two-man game with Giannis. If he is playing and if he's even 70%, uh, that team to me, even more so than the Celtics, kind of has to be the favorite to come out of the East because of how complete a package they have when they have their top four guys in Lopez, Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Giannis available. Dan, always good talking to you. Thanks much. Uh, have fun. You as well. Thanks for having me. Take care. Our pleasure. Dan Favale, Bleacher Report. Always a fount of information from Dan, so check out all his work at Bleacher Report. And uh, we'll have him on, I'm sure, throughout the postseason and uh, our usual arsenal of NBA uh, experts. And uh, Dan's certainly uh, near the top of that list for sure. All right, next segment, phone call time. 602-260-1060. It is general discussion. So if you want to get in, we'll uh, have time for you in the next segment. Also, I'll have a little bottom line from some of our pipeline questions uh, for today. Also, a little bit on uh, the uh, Suns and Clippers. And also, uh, we'll have some Diamondbacks from yesterday as they beat the Brewers in one yet another home series. The Diamondbacks off to a good start to the 2023 campaign. Uh, then we'll wrap up the hour, of course, with the National Roundup. And don't forget, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla from 10 to noon. Then we'll cover a lot of the things uh, that we've already covered a little more and uh, in-depth. And uh, a couple of local Roundup items I'm sure we'll cover a little bit more, too. That's all still to come in the next uh, you know, couple hours plus of radio programming right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castle Lux HD 2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it is phone call time if you want to jump aboard 602-260-1060. General discussion. We'll get to your phone calls and also the local roundup. At least some of the local round here very shortly. First up, a quick repeat of today's pipeline. And uh, we'll start with the poll questions. We'll answer the poll questions uh, during the extra point about two hours from now. Extra point, of course, hosted by Kayla. Who you got Friday ATS at Miami? The Bills plus five. The Bulls, excuse me, plus five. This is basketball. The Bulls plus five or the Heat minus five. And also other poll question, a Twitter poll question today. Should the Jets trade a 2023 second round pick and a 2024 first round pick to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers? Apparently, at least according to ESPN, that's what's uh, been the holdup here. That's uh, what the the uh, you know what they're asking for, basically, for Mr. Rogers, and uh, we'll see how that ends up going. And uh, I would assume maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, you know, I always use that word "assume," and I, I, as soon as I say that, I, I shouldn't use that word. But I'm guessing that that's uh, going to be rectified in one way or the other before the draft, especially if they're going to include a 2023 second-round pick because the draft is two weeks from today. is actually the first round. Also, some other quick things from the uh, pipeline today. Uh, Diamondbacks, what's been most impressive about the 5-2 and two home start? To me, it's actually a, they have a clear identity and athleticism at the, is at the top of their identity list right now which makes sense. I'm not sure if they completely understood how these rules were going to work or whether this was in the plan before. I think it's a combination of both. But uh, the way that the, today's game is being played, athleticism is being stressed certainly even more. So that definitely fits. Meanwhile, as far as uh, 
The uh, Rays start to the season 12 and zero. What's been most impressive thus far? And I think uh, at least I thought they had good pitching to start the year. Their their home run production from the offense, especially playing most of their games at home in a big ballpark in St. Petersburg, to me that's been the most impressive and surprising thing thus far. And as far as the Ravens are, Ravens are concerned. Uh, if given a choice, excuse me, you know, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson is now, but the Colts, given a choice, should the Colts just select a quarterback uh, with a fourth pick two weeks from today, or should they trade for Lamar Jackson? And uh, Shane Steichen, who is now the head coach in Indianapolis, pretty much said yesterday in some shape or form that they're focused on the draft and not interested in trading for Lamar. I'm kind of on their side. I'm obviously not a big Lamar Jackson fan. I'm you know, a little disappointed. In fact, very disappointed how he's not improved his accuracy at all as a quarterback. Uh, and I think they need a rookie quarterback in Indianapolis just to kind of start over because they tried the, uh, I wouldn't call Jackson a retread or an old-timer, but uh, that's kind of what they've tried in the last two or three years in Indianapolis, and that just has not worked out. All right. That's the bottom line for today. On to the phone lines we go. Matt in Phoenix. Hi, Matt. Bob, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm hanging in. Um, good. The Rays, uh, your Rays. Um, yes. <laughs> completely unsustainable here and a product of the um, teams they face, or do we have something in terms of uh, consistent offensive production? I'm not not sure. I mean, I think it's totally to tell. There's no doubt. You know, they've played three of the worst teams in baseball, and right. I don't think the Red Sox are any good. I mean, I picked the the right. only the only win season total bet I made was the Red Sox under seventy eight and a half. Okay. And I'm actually wow, you I actually find that number. Uh, that's a good question. I got it through somebody else, so okay. I'm not sure Oops. where we got that. But seventy eight and a half is the number Great that number. we bet on a couple days before the season started. So, and actually, I'm a little disappointed. I'm kind of, I mean, still pissed off that, uh, you know, Austin Hayes dropped that fly ball. That would have been another loss. (laughs) So, uh, I don't think they're very good. But uh, I I do like their pitching, which I liked before the season started. And, you know, Glass now hasn't pitched yet. He's actually on, he's on track to come back like the second week of May. Uh, And their defense is, is, is always pretty good. Yep. Uh, the thing that surprised me is how much offensive production they've had for from multiple people. I think that's been uh, especially playing all but three of their games so far in St. Petersburg, which is not the easiest place to hit home runs. You yep. know, they've got over 30 home runs in the season so far. So that, to me, has been the biggest surprise. Yeah, hopefully they get a full season of Wander Franco. I think that uh, helps sustain that helps. success, and, and I like to see it as a baseball fan. So. And he's hitting um, the ball in the air, which makes a big difference because he was kind of a ground ball machine yes, in the first Absolutely. couple of years. I kind of want to stick in the NL East in some way, Bob. If you were to start a franchise right now, is there any chance you'd take a guy over Adley Rutschman? Probably not. Um, Gosh, he's tremendous. He's, yeah, he has an unbelievable – I've said this about a couple of young players. I said about Soto yesterday I said this. He has, uh, you know, I've said this about Soto before, but he has amazing plate discipline for yes, a young does. player. Yeah. And, you know, I always think of Frank Thomas because I was actually living in Chicago at some of the early years of Thomas's career, and it was unbelievable, his understanding of the strike zone. And that's the thing that stands Great out example. to me about yep. Rushman. 
And, you know, actually, I think he's a little bit better defensively than I thought he was, too. I agree with that as well. Absolutely. I watch him almost in awe every night, considering how young he is and how much inexperience yeah. he has. Uh, he, he's he's absolutely fantastic. So The Orioles um, are a fun team to watch if you don't have any kind of, like, financial interest because yeah, you know, they're, they're not – they're going to score runs and they're going to give up runs, and they do some really stupid ass things in the field, which I don't yes, quite understand what they're doing sometimes. But I assume they're going to get smarter as we go along. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, that's probably youth experience speaking. Um, as far as the Diamondbacks are concerned, I agree with you. I think their athleticism is superior. Um, I think that's kind of how they built the team. Um, it works obviously now with the new rule changes. Um, uh, I think they're an exciting team to watch. Uh, I'm a little biased just because I have a significant amount on over the win total, which is off to a good start. But um, I enjoy watching them, and I obviously haven't said that over the last you know couple of years here. Um, and I think there's a chance for some sustained success. I don't think they're necessarily a playoff contender this year, but um, I think they're going to be overly competitive. And um, Sunday, by the way, that should be a fun one. Uh, projected to be Gallon and Alcantara in Miami. So I'm looking forward yeah, to that. Gallon, Gallon against his former team, and Alcantara yeah. is just, I guess, happy he's not facing the Phillies, who for some reason for two years running just pound him almost every time. Yeah, very Pablo Lopez against the Mets-esque. <laughs> yeah, it's weird what happens, uh, with, what happens when he faces the, the Phillies, though. It's very strange. Oh, is that a trade that's worked out for both teams with a rise who's hitting the you know everything and and Lopez who's been really good early on for Minnesota? Yeah, for two weeks it is, but uh, it's uh, I'm always skeptical to judge a pitching a, a trade involving a, a starting pitcher after just a couple of starts, and uh, it's not like Lopez has been a pillar of health in his career. Yes. So let's see how this goes. Kind of tailed off in the second half throughout his career I think well, the Twins so. might be pretty good. I'm kind of kicking too. myself. I would like to have bet them over, but I didn't. So I was a year, I was I, potentially a year early on them. I believe they now pay, yeah, I had them last year over too, so maybe that's why I didn't bet them this year. I was, was gun shy. <laughs> uh, but I think they play the Yankees like the next four days now. Yes, so. they do, which has historically <laughs> not been good for them. So I'm interested <laughs> that's to watch true. that series. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a good right, point. Well, I appreciate yeah. it as always. Okay, good talking to you. Thanks a lot. Real quick, one other thing about the Diamondbacks from yesterday, and we'll get more to the Diamondbacks, I'm sure, during the Extra Point hosted by Kayla between uh, 10 and noon. Uh, but uh, Dre Jamison, I'm thinking I like this guy. If he gets a little more command, he's got some good stuff. Four shutout innings yesterday. Uh, he was obviously in a pitch count making his first start after replacing Davies in the rotation. But of the young pitchers they've had up here the last couple of years, and there's been a handful of them, uh, I think that Jamison actually has the best chance for having long-term and sustained success. All right, next segment, we'll wrap up the Sports Zone for today with the National Roundup. We'll get to a little bit, uh, a couple other, a little more on the Rays from last night. And uh, they're playing this afternoon, or maybe this, I think it's this morning, our time, but they're playing day baseball today. And a little bit on the Dodgers last night. Uh, they exploded in San Francisco for a late victory against the Giants. And we're going to get into a little bit as far as the NBA latest line and also time pending. We'll get to some MLB latest line for today. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7.
It's time for today's National Roundup. Hey, welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KS Lux HD 2 100.7. And a little from the scoreboard here, let's start with the Rays. The uh, daily Rays segment here <laughs> as they now won 12 straight games to start the season. Uh, Randy Arozarena hit a three-run homer last night. They won 9-7 over the Red Sox. The 1987 Brewers and the 1982 Braves both opened 13-0, tying the record for the best start in Major League history. Uh, the 12-game winning streak for the Rays is their longest at any point of any season uh, since uh, 2004. Meanwhile, they can equal the record at 13-0 uh, against the Red Sox uh, later today. The Red Sox have lost, by the way, 12 straight road games to the Rays if you go back to last season. Taj Bradley, uh, the top Rays pitching prospect, uh, won his major league debut yesterday for the Rays. He was recalled from AAA. Zach Eflin was placed on the injured list. And Bradley was okay, definitely showed some nerves, but he only he allowed three runs in five innings, but he struck out eight. And I saw enough to understand why he is the top prospect in uh, a pitching-rich organization like the Rays. Meanwhile, the Dodgers won last night in the Bay Area. Max Muncy hit a three-run homer and also a solo homer uh, as they finished the three-game set. In fact, he... Uh, yeah, we, we we saw plenty of Max Muncy, the Diamondbacks, and played the Dodgers two series already. And he was a lot of swing and miss uh, early in the season, not against the Giants. In the three-game series against the Giants, he hit four homers and had 11 runs batted in. Last night, Clayton Kershaw, the winning pitcher in the Dodgers' 10-5 victory. Kershaw allowed two earned runs over five hits in the six innings uh, total. And uh, he hung in there until the, uh, the Dodgers basically broke the game open towards the end. Kershaw, four strikeouts and two walks. And the Dodgers win two out of three games at San Francisco. On to the NBA. No games tonight, uh, but tomorrow night, obviously, a couple of winner-go-home games. Chicago's at Miami. And Miami, a five-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. Consensus number right now from Nevada. Just look during the break, and that's what we have is five and a half. Total sitting at 209. And OKC at Minnesota, and uh, Minnesota a five-point favorite in this game. Open four and a half and up to five. I don't agree with that line movement. I think OKC is the side here. Um, I was on OKC yesterday, and and uh, not luckily, because I think they were really the better team throughout the game. I was a little concerned once they fell behind briefly in the second half with a young team. But uh, they regrouped and and certainly finished it off against the Pelicans last night. As far as some uh, games over the weekend, uh, first round, uh, first games of series in the actual quote playoffs, uh, Philadelphia an eight point favorite against Brooklyn, uh, the Boston Celtics a nine point favorite in Game One against Atlanta, New York at Cleveland and Cleveland a five and a half point favorite. No official word, at least as last I've seen. I uh, haven't seen anything other than uh, he's making progress regarding Julius Randle. Uh, the uh, Golden State and uh, the Golden State and the Sacramento series, which uh, I'm really into, I'm looking forward to watching this. I'm not real sure what's going to happen. Um, you know, I think the Golden State's the better team, uh, but let's see how this goes. It's not exactly a quote road game because, uh, I guess, Draymond Green has declared several times. 
Uh, if we're taking a bus to the game, it's not a road game. Uh, but Sacramento, a one-point favorite in game one. That's on Saturday. And then on Sunday, of course, the Lakers are at Memphis. Memphis is a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that first game. And then the Suns hosting the Clippers. That's a 5 o'clock start on Sunday here in Phoenix. And uh, the uh, Suns a seven-point favorite in game one. A couple of baseball numbers for today. Tampa Bay trying for the uh, 13th consecutive game, just a 13th consecutive win to start the season. And Jeffrey Springs has been really impressive so far for them on the mound. He's their starting pitcher today against Corey Kluber, who has been less than impressive so far for Boston. Not surprisingly, considering everything, uh, Tampa Bay and Springs a minus 240 favorite in this game today and uh, at Tampa. Also today, the Yankees hosting Minnesota. Uh, Brito for the Yankees and Ryan for the Twins. The uh, Yankees and uh, Brito a 150 favorite in that game. And then later tonight, it's uh, Milwaukee is at San Diego as Milwaukee continues its road trip. And uh, Milwaukee is not, last I looked, had not listed a pitcher yet for today. Uh, Martinez scheduled to go for San Diego. One other quick baseball note, the Rangers did place Corey Seager on the injured list with a hamstring injury. He might be out up to four weeks. Stay tuned. Next two hours will be the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. That include more phone call time, 602-260-1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening.